Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Linda Schoonover-Carley. She's the author of Divorce Made Simple, the ultimate guide by a former family judge. As a former family law judge, attorney, and mediator, Linda Schoonover-Carley offers common sense and a holistic approach to divorce. In her first book, this one is the first in a series, she shares that same common sense approach to reduce costs, delays, and headaches usually associated with divorce. Linda Schoonover-Carley, it is a pleasure to have you on Divorce Dialogues. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, you sat on the bench as a family judge, and I know that you and that role saw many sad situations and maybe some that weren't really necessary. And so let me ask you this question. Is divorce a person's best or only alternative? Well, I think sometimes the emotions that a person starts with, you know, maybe it's the situation where they think it's the last straw and they, instead of, you know, thinking about it, they impulsively do something where it may not be the only alternative. There may be a way that either they can reconcile or they can go to marriage counseling. They can do something, maybe some therapy to think about how to communicate because as you know, as an attorney, that when a person is hit with some kind of issue, whether it's betrayal or anger or they're upset, fearful, whatever, their brain kind of shuts off and they go to kind of a knee-jerk reaction and run down, you know, to the courthouse, maybe get the toughest bulldog attorney, you know, so-and-so is really good for destroying the other person. And they go off on that tangent without really understanding the consequences for them financially, you know, in their relationship with their kids or their spouse. You know, at that point, they just want the pain to be over, the anger to be over, whatever. So they don't stop long enough to figure out what the alternatives could be. Yeah, I think that you said a lot of really important things there. And one of the things that you said early is that use the word communication. And I think Mm -hmm. that a breakdown in communication is the major reason and major by far and away the biggest reason why people end up getting divorced is that they cannot communicate effectively. They cannot communicate through conflict. And as a result, they shut down or step out. And that leads them down the road to divorce, maybe not necessarily needed. What do you think? Absolutely. And, you know, communication can be really hard and you want to shut it off. You know, that's our natural human instinct is to shut off that communication. And the attorneys, frankly, and I'm an attorney and a judge, so I understand, but we don't always work to kind of massage that communication. We kind of instigate, let's, you know, stop all communication. And sometimes that's important if you've got domestic violence issues. But other times it's just going to escalate the fees, escalate the emotion, create more turmoil for the children. And we want to keep that communication going as long as possible. 
often what I would do is they would say, no, mediation's never going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. So we're just going to go right to trial or whatever. And so what I would do is I would kind of do what I could to massage that communication between the two of them and order them to go to some kind of counseling therapy, not to reconcile their marriage, but to learn to communicate again so that they would be in a better posture for mediation or collaborative law. And I think that's really important. In fact, if I can take a minute and tell you a story, this might get my point across. Sure. Do we have time for that? Okay. Absolutely. Well, when I went on the bench, the first case I had, or one of the first cases, these parties who had been in a conflict for 12 years, they were never divorced, but their child, you know, is a result of a paternity action. And the child was sick, terminally sick. And the parties had been in litigation, like I said, for 12 years in a different county. They'd had multiple appeals, multiple professionals, whether it was a guardian ad litem or therapist or whatever, they had multiple professionals working with them, and they had all given up on these folks. They said they will never agree on anything, they can't communicate, and they never will. And so that continued from one judge to another judge. Over a period of 12 years, they had had seven different judges. Wow. And I said, no, no, no. Then they each wanted me to appoint them as you know, exclusive rights for making medical decisions for their daughter and making decisions regarding this or that. And everything was an emergency. And I'm not qualified to make medical decisions for children. So I said, no, no, we're going to wait. I'm not going to appoint either one of you. I'm not going to appoint any more experts. I'm going to see what we can do with two adults who need to communicate as parents. So I ordered them to sit down They were actually in a situation from Florida to New York as a child was in a hospital in New York. And I said, I want you to sit down in wherever the cafeteria is, the hospital cafeteria, every two weeks, and I want you to talk to each other. And the first two weeks, I want you to just talk about how much you love your daughter and all the wonderful things you love about her. Nothing else, nothing else, just the two of you. And that's all you're going to talk about. The next two weeks, I want you to talk about all your hopes and dreams that you have for your daughter and what you want for her in her life. The next two weeks, I want you to talk about her medical condition. And then the final, I want you to talk about her options because they couldn't agree on her treatment. And I said, but I don't want you to change anything. Don't start talking about treatment or her condition on week one. That's assigned to week four. So after the first two weeks, and I said, I want you to call me every two weeks, and I want you to tell me how it's going. So after first two weeks, they called me, and they said, you know, we thought you were crazy. Hmm. We never thought we could communicate as parents, and we are finally doing that. And they did that, and they said, but we want to talk to you every two weeks. So every two weeks, I talked to them before I talked to anybody else on my hearings. I just had a private call with them. They talked and they did that for a year and a half. The little girl went into remission, you know, but for a while they were really talking as parents. And so it can be done. And people need to kind of put their big boy and girl pants on and understand they're adults. They don't need a thousand other professionals to learn how to communicate, but they're so 
ingrained in this litigation process that they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do something that they could do themselves. They would just sit down across from each other, remove all the other distractions, and really focus on what's important to them. And hopefully it's their children, which would be the bright spot in their life. So that's just how it can be done. Linda Schoonover Carly, I think for your bio, we should add, I don't know, communications coach, therapist or something, judge. And (laughs) (laughs) because I think what you did in that story and if the story illustrates so beautifully, like a paradigm shift, right? Like a shift in the structure of the conversation. And instead of, you know, coming in and as they were probably prepared to argue in front of you as they had argued in front of seven judges before you who's right, who's wrong, why, back and forth, I'm right, no, I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, back and forth that way. What you did was you changed the focus of the conversation. And you said, there's one thing you both can't agree on, and that's that you love your daughter. And if you start the conversation from the place of that, where each of you can express to the other person the way you love your child in the way which no one else in this world loves that person, then we find some commonality. And from that place, we can talk about these things, these problems, these issues that we need to come to an agreement about. It's when they lose sight, you know, and the court system distracts them. The litigation distracts them. Their egos are wrapped up in winning. And so you have to remove their egos. You have to shift their focus into what is really important to them. And in this case, their daughter's life. And this poor child, for me, I mean, she had never known her parents to be in harmony. Never. She'd never known them to be able to talk about her civilly. And you can imagine, one, the stress that put on all three parties, the little girl and the two parties. It's amazing that this child could go through her whole life and not know any conduct by her parents other than litigating. It's amazing. And you have to wonder whether or not their ability to reach a resolution had to do with her going into remission. It's a question I don't Mm -hmm. think we're going to answer today. And I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Dialogue on Divorce here on WBOX 1460 AM. And we're also available as a podcast on divorcedialogues.com as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. And I'm talking today with Linda Schoonover Carly. She's the author of Divorce Made Simple, The Ultimate Guide by a Former Family Judge. Linda was telling us some stories about her experiences on the bench that really emphasize the importance of communication and how powerful it is to be in a system that does or does not encourage communication on a human level. Linda Schoonover Carly, you know, you talked about mediation or collaborative divorce, and you also told this very powerful story. And I'm wondering what your experience is in how a non-litigation system can help solve conflict in a way that does emphasize positive communication. What's your experience with that? Well, I was a mediator and still a mediator, but I was uh, certified as a mediator for family, civil, appellate, and I've done some collaborative as well. But, you know, it works in every conflict. It doesn't have to be family. It can be you know, elder care, it can be civil, it can be commercial, doesn't matter. But what you do in the mediation is, you know, again, you try to find issues or an agreement between the parties that they can start, you know, with a practice of agreement. And that that is so different than the court system, because the court system, it's not about agreeing, it's about winning or losing. 
And, you know, every time somebody wins, they go, aha, you know, we've got you now, we've got you now. And all that does is it increases, the, of course, the attorney's fees, makes more time for the judge on the bench. And I'm not sure at the end of the day if anybody wins. In fact, I'm pretty sure everybody loses. Yeah. Except perhaps the attorneys who get the money. But, you know, you lose sight of what you were originally fighting about. I would have parties come in for their final judgment. And I would say, so why do you find your marriage irretrievably broken? And they look at me like, you know, I can't remember. You know, they'd be going through litigation for as long as, you know, three, four years. And it was like, I can't remember what started this. And it was like, you know, that's what happens. You just lose sight of what it is, and it could have been something they could have resolved instead of making it this, you know, circus where you've got so many people involved in your personal matters. It's not their life. It's your life. It's your family. And is that how you want to spend your time for your family, your resources as a family? Even if people get a divorce, that relationship with the two parties, especially if they have children, is going to be crucial to their children's understanding of how to resolve conflicts themselves as parents, as an adult, it makes such a difference if parties can resolve their differences out of court and not in the middle of, you know, this circus. And that's what happens when you get a trial. It's just a circus. And people lose sight of anything but you're going to lose or I'm going to win. And it becomes ego, 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 money, money, money. And they're just locked and we in the battle. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. So what are some of the short and long-term consequences of divorce? Is that different for men and women? Well, I think generally women have financial consequences that are more severe, but I think that's changing because women are becoming more and more the primary breadwinner. You know, in the last 25 years, 35 years, it's changed considerably. But even so, you're still dividing up a pot in two, the financial pot. Really, the consequences for the children and their relationship, the parents' relationship with that child that's so impacted. And I hate to stress this, but when you go to a court and you ask a stranger to make a decision about what kind of contact you're going to have with your child, you are really in Russian roulette. You don't know what the judge is going to decide. You don't know what his background is or her background is or what her personal issues are. You know, there's just so many things that can impact a judge's decision. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to follow the law. Then if they don't, you're stuck with an appeal process that's more money, more time, and you have a child that's sort of sitting out there in limbo going, am I ever going to get my parents back? Yeah. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. You know, I have a situation now where the father hasn't seen his son in five years, and all the other professionals, again, in this case, are saying there's no reason why he shouldn't. But, you know... It keeps going on. It just goes on and on and on. And the parties feel powerless. And I think that's one of the things that's so wonderful about mediation is that it empowers the parties. It doesn't take away from who they are or their role as parents. 
it empowers them to make good decisions for themselves and for their children. And that power isn't removed from them and given to somebody that doesn't know their facts and may not care about their facts. Linda Schoonover, Carly, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. But before I do that, I want to remind people that you're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. And I'm talking today with Linda Schoonover, Carly. She's the author of Divorce Made Simple, the ultimate guide for by a former family judge. Linda, how can people find out more about your book or about you as an author or, or as a professional? Well, I have both the bio and my book, both as digital and paperback, is on Amazon. And you can find it under Divorce Made Simple. I have also a website, lindaschoonover.com and divorcemadesimple.com. And so they can go to any of those. We're constantly making videos. I also have a Facebook, Divorce Made Simple. And I am uploading videos from time to time as just some general advice, not legal advice, because everybody's case is different, but general advice for people who are going through a divorce. And right before we did that introduction, we were talking about mediation and the power of mediation to help people find a resolution that really makes sense for them based on their own principles and their own criteria. How should people prepare for that? Because I can imagine we have listeners out there thinking, you know, that sounds great, Linda Schoonover, Carly, but also I have no idea how I could ever do that with my spouse. How could I change the way I'm looking at the situation or the way they're looking at the situation so that I can prepare to engage in a mediation in a successful way? Oh, well, that's a really good question. One, you can't change anybody. And so no matter what you think, you're not going to be able to change the other person. And if you've been through a marriage, you know that. You may have started out with that idea, but you're going to end up with the idea you can't change them. And so what we're likely to see is the same issues that you had during the marriage is going to show up during litigation or during mediation. So be prepared for that. So whatever their issue is, expect to see it again in mediation. Secondly, I would make a list of the issues and the things that you can live without. In other words, this is the most important issue to me. This is the second most important. This is the third most important. And so you list those issues and that will give you a guide. You know, it would be nice if I got this, but I definitely have to have this. So if you have that guide so that you can be flexible the idea is to be flexible, not to you remember whoever is on the other side, their behavior is going to be the same as well. So if you have been an enabler during the whole marriage, you're going to continue to be an enabler and you might want to, you know, really depend on your attorney, if you have an attorney, to help you so you don't continue to be that enabler. But if you're by yourself and you don't have counsel, you need to look over your pleadings, in other words, your petition, your financial affidavit, you need to be really up with that and know what your needs are financially, what your expenses are, what your children's expenses are, make sure the child support calculations are right, and then you can go in there with a little bit more confidence. You don't have to go in with a set idea that you're going to rip this person apart. The whole idea is to come to a table and try to Again, put the most important thing first, and hopefully that's your children. But if that's your children, start with, you know, what's the contact going to be? 
and what is it that you would like to see? What is this that you can live with? And that kind of thing. So, you know, the children should be the anchor if you have children for your whole mediation process and look to their future and your future and how you can strengthen your relationship with your children and even the other side's relationship. And when you do that with kind of your hands open instead of your hands closed and ready to punch somebody with a fist, then you're going to be more likely to get what you want from the other side. And they're going to be more likely to give as well, be a little bit more give and take from both sides. You know, I think that's really terrific advice about going into mediation. And and you talked about the possibility of going into mediation without counsel, without an attorney. And sometimes when people do that, they feel really worried, I think, that they don't know what they don't know. They don't know about child support. They don't know about alimony. We call that maintenance in New York. They don't know about equitable distribution or if you were in a community property state, what that would mean. Can you kind of walk our listeners through what the basic principles are behind each of those concepts? Well, first of all, they could look at my book because Divorce Made Simple, I've kind of written it for someone who's going through without an attorney so they understand those principles. But let's start with time sharing. It's what used to be called custody. And every state's basically, they may call it this different, but it's the same thing. Time sharing or shared parental responsibility has to do not so much with time but with the idea that both parents have a right to access and input into a child's life, that shared parental responsibility, only if there is some kind of danger to the child is the court is going to consider sole parental responsibility in most cases. Okay. And then you have time sharing and you have, you know, what used to be called standard, which is Every other week and or, you know, every two weeks, you get a weekend or a night during the week. And that's very flexible now. We've gone to rotating. We've gone to time sharing where everything's split. And I have my own ideas about that. I'm not sure that that's really good for the child. I think sometimes we get so carried away with our rights that we think we have to split the child's time, even if it's not what's in the child's best interest. And that's what the court is really looking for is what's in the child's best interest. You know, okay. I think parties need to keep that in mind and when what they're about, in a mediation. I agree. And just in the interest of time, if we could move on to sort of child support and alimony, I think people often get confused about the difference between those two things. And maybe you could give us some sure. clarity. Okay. Child support basically has to do with the income that parties make. And in most states, the statute for child support has the aggregate amount of the party's income. And then from there, depending on if they have one child, two child, or three children, they'll have an amount that's determined. And then, for example, if let's just say the party's total income is $300 a month. I hope God nobody makes that. But let's say $300 a month and mom makes 100 and dad makes 200 Then mom would be responsible for one-third of the child support and dad would be responsible for two-thirds of that child support. And then you add on health insurance, and that's usually by the percentages as well. Other expenses like child care would be considered and probably on that same percentage. And so, so that's basically... That's child support, and we're, we're running we're in our last minute. So could you just give a quick rundown of the purpose of what alimony or maintenance or family support, depending on what state you're in, is for? Sure. Alimony is basically support for the spouse. Um, 
and um, it's based on what they need to be self-sufficient. It doesn't have to be necessarily equal. You don't have to divide the other spouses, the payer spouse's income, but it's whatever income is necessary for them to be uh, basically self-sufficient so they don't go into a poverty level. Thank you. That's super helpful information. Linda Schoonover-Carley, thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. Thank you, Catherine. It's been fun.